You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Bible reading. Um, Tonight, as we continue to look through Acts, we're going to read from Acts 19 verses 11 to 22. Um, You can find that on page 901 in the Pew Bibles, if that's how you choose to follow along, or alternatively, have a look on an app on your phone, if you like. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, But who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Thanks, Mez, uh, and good to be with you again and looking at this passage uh, from Acts. I'd encourage you to have it open. It's page 901. Uh, And the series which we kicked off last week uh, is called The Church on Mission. We're looking at what's called Paul's third missionary journey. Um, So Paul, one of the early leaders in the church, uh, went travelling around telling people about Jesus, sharing the good news of Jesus, his death on the cross to deal with our sin, his resurrection, rising to new life to give us uh, eternal life, a hope beyond death. Uh, And this is the third of these sorts of trips that Paul has done. There's a bit of a map here uh, showing the, uh, the route that he took. Um, through kind of the known world at the time, starting from Antioch, which was his home church where he went out from, uh, travelling across land uh, and ending up on this journey in Jerusalem uh, via sea. Uh, And basically what he's doing on this third journey is he's telling people about Jesus, sharing the news with them, but he's also visiting churches that he's been to before, trying to encourage followers of Jesus to keep going with him and to... uh, share the good news of Jesus with other people as well. 
Uh, so that's a bit of a map. Here's another map that I got sent through the week. One of uh, the members of our morning congregation said he prefers this map. This is Paul's missionary journeys um, done like the London underground, which is kind of cool. Uh, and uh, the third missionary journey which we're looking at is the green one, which is, uh, yeah, it's got a few sort of jumps in it and so on. But this passage that we're looking at, Paul's in Ephesus which you can see on that underground map is kind of a key junction point and it's a key stop on this journey. Paul spends over two years uh, in Ephesus, uh, which for Paul is a long time because he's the sort of guy who tends to come along, share Jesus and then move on to the next place. But in this case, he stays there for over two years, teaching people, um, debating with people about the reality that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Uh, and he spent over two years there, quite a long time. And during this time, some remarkable miracles happen. In fact, today's passage is full of miracles. And one of the key questions, I think, for us as we look at this today is the question, okay, so that happened then, but is this the sort of thing that we can expect to happen today as the church on mission here in our local area? How do we look at what happened there? Should we expect that to be happening uh, for us today. So have your passage uh, open and we'll have a look at it together. Have a look uh, for starters at verse 11. It says this, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. So given how long Paul is spending in Ephesus, he would have worked his trade when he was there. He's there for two years, he's got to support himself, he's got to eat. He didn't like being reliant on people just giving money to support him. So he would have worked his trade. He was a tent maker. And it's thought that these handkerchiefs and aprons which are referred to uh, are the sweat cloths that he would have worn on his head, that's the sort of handkerchief, and the apron is the apron that he would have worn as he was sewing tents and, and working his trade. And so it seems that people are taking these sweaty cloths and using them in quite powerful ways to heal people and to drive out evil spirits. Now, we don't know whether, you know, Paul is in on this, where people are asking Paul for them, or whether people are just nicking, nicking his sweaty cloths and using them. You can almost see Paul sort of going... I knew I put it down somewhere, where's it gone? Because people keep um, taking them and using them. We don't really know. But incredibly powerful things are happening uh, such that these cloths are able to heal people. Now, I don't know how you react when you read stuff like this in the Bible. Uh, some people sort of go, yes, that's so, so exciting. Other people are just like, we like the weird alarm bells going off and think, this is just, some stuff you read sounds pretty weird to me. But there's other examples of this sort of thing happening in the Bible. So uh, Jesus, in Mark chapter 5, he's on his way uh, somewhere where a lady who has been bleeding, she's had internal bleeding in her body, bleeding in her body, body for 12 years, just reaches out and touches Jesus' cloak as he walks past. I mean, Jesus is wearing it at the time, but she only touches the garment and immediately she's healed. Um, there's another example in Acts 5 where people are actually bringing sick people out and laying them on the side of the road, friends and relatives who are unwell, so that when Peter, another early church leader, walks down the road, his shadow 
will touch the sick people and they might be healed. So there's other examples of this happening in the Bible. And it just seems that in these circumstances, God is working with such power in these situations that his power is just breaking out from the normal bounds. Really strange stuff is happening and people are being healed in remarkable ways. Now, it's important to note that these are extraordinary happenings. So in verse 11, Luke, who's writing this account, says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Do you notice he's added an extra word there? I mean, miracles are pretty remarkable things. You don't expect miracles to sort of happen all the time. And yet even Luke says that these aren't just miracles, these are extraordinary miracles. Even when you consider miracles, these are really unusual and really rare. So what are we to do with this? Should we expect the same sort of thing to be happening in Diamond Creek today as we're a church on mission, we want to be praying for great things to be happening? Well, to answer this question, I think it's helpful to sort of remind you of something that Kirk said last week and think about how it applies to this particular situation. It comes down to how do you read a book like Acts? So Acts is telling us the events that happened in the early church. It's a narrative, it's a story, it's describing what happened. And people can make two types of mistakes when they read the book of Acts. Um, Kirk used different books to explain it, which is really helpful. So this is the user's manual for my air conditioner in my office, uh, and it tells you how to operate the air conditioner. So I can just read and follow the instructions. There's even numbers, steps to follow to make sure that I can cool the room down or heat it up or set a timer or whatever. And sometimes people read the book of Acts like that. They think, well, I want someone to be healed. I'm praying for someone to be healed. So maybe if I can just copy step by step what's happening here, I can make it happen. Um, Kind of like an instruction manual or following a prescription that you might get from a doctor. Uh, Maybe if we can find exactly the sort of cloth that tent makers wore in those days, make it a bit sweaty, um, maybe we can heal people. But that's to read Acts in a different way that it's intended. This is telling us things that did happen when Paul was there in Ephesus, but it's not given to us to say, and if you follow it exactly, the same thing will happen. It's not an instruction manual. Second type of book is a history. Here's one I just pulled off my shelf. Um, It's just the Oxford history of the classical world. No biggie. Um, I don't know how that compares to Kirk's history book, Console Wars. Um, Whatever, you know. Um, I've probably just gone down in your estimation um, in my attempt to show off. (laughs) I haven't read it. Sometimes we can read uh, Acts and we treat it just like a history book, telling us about something that happened long ago, but it's got really nothing relevant to tell us about today. It's just what happened there and then. It's just a description of what happened, but it's got nothing to tell us really about what we do today. That's also a mistake um, with the book of Acts because we've got the message about the same risen Jesus. Jesus is the same risen Lord who's in charge of the same universe that we live in. right? He's given the same powerful Holy Spirit uh, to us as followers of Jesus as the early church had. 
Uh, it's the same message. We're connected. We're not sort of disconnected just looking back at this history. We are the same church. We follow on from these people who are early followers of Jesus. We're just following him at a later time. So it's not just an interesting description which has nothing to do with us either. I think a better uh, description to just follow on from this is, is this sort of book. Um, it's like Harry Potter. No, no. It's, um, this is a play. This is Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. You can have debates about whether you think it follows adequately in the Harry uh, Potter book series, but it's a play. And um, think about it like this. This is a description that I found really helpful for thinking about how we might think about our role compared to what happens in Acts. Imagine that a play is found, say one of Shakespeare's plays or another J.K. Rowling play. Um, there's a bit of a plug for Renee's The Dream, uh, Shakespeare in the Park. Imagine that you, you, uh, they unearth, they do an archaeological dig in, in London and they find one of Shakespeare's plays. It's never been discovered before, but it's, it's incomplete. It's, a, it's four acts and the fifth and final act is missing. You want to do a performance of it. Uh, what do you do? Well, you have to improvise, don't you? You've got to improvise the final act of the play. So you can perform the first four acts. It'd be a mistake, though, when you get to act five to just, let's just do act one again, okay? Because we don't know what happens, so let's just repeat act one. That's a bit like using an instruction manual and just trying to copy what's here. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to just do your own thing and introduce characters who haven't been in things, doing things which have nothing to do with what's gone before. What you want to do is you want to follow what has happened consistently, similar characters, similar themes, uh, fitting in with what's gone before, but you've got to complete the play in a way which is appropriate uh, for the context in which you're in. It's a bit like that with us. Right, we've got the same message to share. We want to share about Jesus with people. We want to do it empowered by the Holy Spirit. But we've got to do it in our schools, our workplaces, our local area in a way that is appropriate to our time to share that message. Uh, we don't want to do things in a way which are out of step with what has already been written uh, in a way that's inconsistent. Uh, but we don't want to just copy what has happened either. So what does that mean in terms of the sorts of miraculous things that happen here? Well, I would want to say that there's no reason uh, not to expect that God can do the same sort of extraordinary miracles that he did then. There's no reason they can't happen. They can. But we also can't guarantee that God will act in that particular way either. And we certainly can't manipulate things or manipulate God so that he does them on our time schedule and in the way that we want him to do them. That's a sure recipe for disaster, as what follows in this passage shows us. So if you have a look there, in verses 13 to 16, we uh, see these, this amazing story about these seven sons of Siva, as they're called, who drive out evil spirits and they try and use Jesus' name to do it. So they recognise that Jesus is someone who has power and that Jesus' name is clearly very powerful because Paul's doing some incredible things in the name of Jesus. And they kind of think that maybe the name of Jesus is a bit like a magic word, kind of like abracadabra. If they can use it, 
then they will have power as well. Um, We know from history that this sort of thing was very common in Ephesus. So they've found books. I think I've got a bit of a script there on the next slide. They've found uh, books which are just lists of names that were put together by people and were used almost like spells or to try and have power. And so these guys think, well, if we add Jesus' name into the mix and speak it, then we'll, be, we'll have power over evil spirits. Uh, so how does that work out for them? Not so well. The, the evil spirits, it's almost comical. They say, well, we know Jesus. We've heard about Paul, but who the heck are you? Uh, and then these guys who are trying to overpower the evil spirits and drive them out get mugged and beaten up and end up uh, bloodied and naked running out of the room. It's a powerful demonstration of the difference between uh, magic and miracle. So magic is about attempting to manipulate and control the world or the spiritual realm, um, getting what you want, manipulating things, maybe speaking certain words or acting in certain ways, superstition often operates like this. If I, if I do something a certain way, then I'll gain control, I'll have power over the situation. That's magic. Miracle is really about God acting in a way which is free and which is powerful to do what he wants to do. Uh, and again, as Kirk said last week, uh, the only thing we can do, really, in terms of the supernatural and wanting miracles to happen is to ask God. We can't make them happen. All we can do is ask God to act and he is free to answer that prayer and he's powerful to do it, but we can't make it happen. Jesus is not a magic word that we can use to get what we want. Jesus is a person. He's the risen king of the entire universe. So we don't attempt to manipulate Jesus to get what we want. What we do is we acknowledge that he's the boss, he is powerful, we bend our knee before him and we ask him for mercy and for strength and help. And we come into a relationship with him, we want to know him personally, we want him to to live within us and empower us from within. We ask him to fill us with his Holy Spirit to empower us day to day. It's it's personal, it's about connecting with the person Jesus rather than just trying to use his power or use his name to get what we want. Now, I think it's it's unlikely that we would try and do it in a magical kind of way um, like we read in this story, but I reckon we do it in other ways which are maybe more subtle. So I've seen this happen um, in people's lives where they might... um, drive their car really fast all the time um, praying, Jesus, protect me, which is kind of using it a bit like a charm while they're doing a really stupid thing. More common and and even more subtle is when people have this mindset that if I'm obedient to Jesus, if I go to church, if I do the right thing and try and follow what Jesus wants, then uh, God will somehow owe me because I do the right thing. And I've seen it happen where something bad happens in a person's life And they get really angry at God because they've had this mindset that because they've been obedient to God, because they've been trying to live as a Christian, that God will give them an easy life and be good to them because of the things that they've done. Um, 
But obedience to God is not a magic potion or a magic charm that somehow protects us from the things that might happen in life. Um, I believe that following Jesus, being obedient to the way that God commands us, is the best way to live. And generally speaking, it will lead to blessing in life because God's made us, designed us, it's the best way to live. But it isn't magic. It's not mechanical. It's not like, if I do X, then Y will follow. Life's more complicated than that. God is powerful and God is free and sometimes God's plans just aren't clear to us as to why things happen the way they happen. He's real and he's personal and we come into a relationship with him but don't ever think we can control or manipulate God and make him act the way that we want him to act. Uh, In any case, uh, despite these guys getting a, a beating... What happens is that the name of Jesus is even more deeply honoured as a result of what happens. And you see another miracle happening in verses 18 to 19. Now, I don't know whether you spotted this extra miracle. This is one of those ones that sneaks past us sometimes because it's less supernatural than healings and casting out evil spirits. But if you know human beings really well, you'll see... Yeah, this is actually something miraculous that's going on here. People start coming forward and they start confessing the wrong things that they've done. They start owning up to the things that they've been doing maybe behind the scenes in the dark. And they bring all of their magical scrolls forward, things like this, and they chuck them on a bonfire, burning them up. Uh, Luke, the writer, tells us that the scrolls are worth about 50,000 drachmas, 50,000 drachmas. What's a drachma? It's equivalent of a day's wages, right? So um, 50,000 days' wages, I pulled out my iPhone, the little calculator on it, uh, it's about 137 years' worth of wages. This is a massive amount of money. These scrolls maybe were handed down through different generations in families. They were really valuable things. And yet people come forward and they they just say, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. This stuff is unhelpful. Now that we know about Jesus, we want to part with it. We just want to burn it and get rid of it to start this new way of life. That's a miracle, isn't it? I mean, we know how much human beings love money, and yet these people are just willing to part with it now that they've discovered something better in Jesus. They've been so impacted by him. The Holy Spirit has just gripped them so much by their hearts and convicted them that they're willing to throw this hard-earned cash away. They want nothing to do with it. This is a stunning demonstration of what's called repentance. You might hear that word sometimes. Repentance is about turning away from an old way of living, an unhelpful way which is apart from the way that God wants you to live, and turning to Jesus, turning to God, and living a new way. So these guys are saying, we don't want to live that old way, trying to do this magical stuff, In fact, we're going to burn that because we just want to follow Jesus full on, 100%. That's what repentance looks like. And it's powerful. We're told that as a result of this, the word of God spreads with great power. Uh, A friend of mine, Claire, was invited to go to church by a friend of hers. Uh, She'd kind of gone to church a little bit growing up. Her family had attended kind of Christmas time, Easter time, and maybe occasionally at other points. Uh, But she certainly wasn't a Christian, she wasn't a follower of Jesus. 
And she said that the thing that really impacted her as she sat in church that day, invited by a friend, was seeing the collection plate, the, the bowl for the offering, go past. Because as it got passed along, people were putting real money in the plate. And like, she'd gone to church where people you know, threw a few coins in, nothing too costly. You kind of do your duty, you put a few coins in. But she was like looking in the plate, and people were putting real cash into this. And she said to herself, these people really believe this. Like, they're putting their hard-earned cash into the plate. They must really believe that this stuff that's been spoken about Jesus is true. And that was the first step on her, investigating Jesus, becoming a follower of Jesus, and now she's lecturing in a Bible college. Um, in many ways, what's happening here with the scrolls is an even deeper and more powerful miracle than the healings. Uh, it's one thing to see an incredible miracle and be impressed by it, be wowed by it. But it's a whole other thing, isn't it, to be willing to make costly changes in your life, to change yourself uh, as a result of Jesus. Uh, lots of people saw Jesus do miracles, do incredible things. Most of the people who saw Jesus' miracles just walked away and didn't become his followers, even though they were impressed by what he did. Uh, and lots of people say, you've probably heard people say, oh, if God just gave me this sign, then I would follow him. But would they? Uh, even if people saw a miracle, would they be willing to actually change their lives in radical ways to follow Jesus? What about you? Uh, all of us have things in our lives which are not in step with the way that Jesus would want us to live. All of us have areas that we need to repent of, get rid of in our lives, to live full on for Jesus. What would it take for you to change those things that you're aware of in your life which are not pleasing to Jesus? Are you waiting for a miraculous sign to tell you that these things are not good and not helpful for you? Even if you got a miraculous sign, would you be willing to change those things? Or are they so comfortable and so ingrained in your life that it wouldn't be easy to turn away from them? Can you see why I think that what is happening here is so miraculous? The Holy Spirit has really gripped these people's hearts and lives such that genuine life change follows. Costly following of Jesus, which can only come when the Holy Spirit works in our lives, in our hearts. Uh, if we're conscious of areas in our life tonight which we know needs to change, then we need to bring them to Jesus and we need to ask him to change them. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to name them and ask that Jesus would help you, give you the will and the focus to actually make the changes that he wants you to make in your life? Uh, this passage is all about the incredible power of Jesus. So if that's the case for you, if you know there are real areas of change that you're needed, just be assured that Jesus is powerful to work in your life so that those changes can take place. Jesus is the name that is above every name. He is the ultimate authority and every other power in heaven and on earth is under his command. As we call on the name of Jesus, as we ask for his help, we're seeking the one who has the power to help us. But be warned, we can't 
manipulate Jesus or control Jesus for our own purposes. Uh, We can't co-opt his powerful name for our agenda. He's the Lord. We come to him on his terms. As individuals and as a church, we need to do that. So as a church who are on mission uh, with grand visions and ideas of what we want to happen, we are utterly dependent on Jesus for that to happen. We can't do anything apart from his power and his authority. And yet, as we rely on Jesus, we should pray expectantly, knowing that he can work miracles. He can work miracles in our lives and in our community. Um, I use those words, pray expectantly, deliberately, because they're in our vision. They're in our vision twice. So one of our values in our vision document is that we are a church which prays expectantly. Uh, And in the vision itself, we have said that this is something that we want to uh, be known for more and more, that we are a church which prays expectantly. That is, that when we pray, when we ask God for things, we expect that he hears prayers and that he will act. We want our prayers to be big prayers. And as we pray them, we shouldn't be limiting the possibilities of what God can do when we pray. Because he's done it before. He's done it before here in the book of Acts when we read these exciting stories. We know that he's capable of it. He's done it there. But he's also done it in recent history. Um, One of the stories that I heard which has impacted me greatly and really expanded the way that I pray um, was this story. It comes from uh, a history of Australian Christianity by a guy called Stuart Piggin. Uh, and this, uh, let me, I'll read the story to you about how God sometimes does, it's similar to what Kirk was saying, God sometimes chooses to just bless his people and work with great power in particular ways in particular areas. In August 1969, a mission entitled Free Indeed was held at Wadina on the Air Peninsula in South Australia. A large turnout at the opening meeting startled the organisers and so they had to move to a bigger hall. But even there, hearers had to stand outside and listen through the windows. The addresses were Bible messages on the bondage of humans to sin and to Satan and to the powers of darkness and of the flesh and the world and the true freedom which Jesus gives from such powers. The atmosphere was one of heightened expectancy, the listening was intent, and many attended who were not even thought to be at all interested in Christian things. There was a sense of the presence of God brooding over the whole geographical area. A farmer who had not been coming to the meetings, although his wife did, was out on his tractor ploughing when great conviction came upon him and he got down in the dust and gave his life to the Lord. Sometimes God just, his power breaks out of the normal bounds. Uh, Here's a guy, he's not even at the church meeting. He's, He's in his tractor and yet he's convicted of sin. He gets down, he gives his life to the Lord. Pray expectantly. Pray big prayers and pray expecting that God has the power to be able to do it. 
Should we be praying for healing for people? Yes. Should we be praying that people would be freed from the things that are enslaving them? Yes. Should we pray for people to have their lives radically changed, whole new directions in life as a result of knowing Jesus? Yes. Can we make it happen? No. But we pray and we ask God, we pray expectantly and we pray confidently, trusting in the name of Jesus, the one who is all-powerful. Let me pray. Jesus, you are the Lord, you're the King, you're the name which is above every name and we bend our knee to you tonight and acknowledge your rule over us and over this world. And we come to you and we want you to broaden the way that we pray and broaden the way that we think. Give us greater confidence in your power and we ask that you, in your mercy and in your grace, would pour out your power in great ways in our local area amongst the people that we know and we love. Please do amazing miracles, extraordinary miracles in our area that people would see your power, experience it in their lives and would turn to you and have a radical new way of life knowing Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.